From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the vaccine mandate has taken a backseat to the renewed outrage over the bungled withdrawal by the Biden administration from Afghanistan. As the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, appeared virtually before the House yesterday and in person before the Senate today. I can summarize this in one word. Betrayal. The America I know keeps its promises. The most important promise in our military is no man left behind, no one left behind. But you broke this promise. That was Michael McCall, the ranking member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, opening yesterday's hearing in the House. The hearing from there only got more intense. The question is, did Secretary Blinken provide any insight into what went wrong in Afghanistan? Did Congress learn anything from the exchange with Blinken? We'll get more from Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, who was a part of yesterday's hearing. And now I want to make sure that the vaccine mandate stays in the public discussion because it is an extremely dangerous overreach by the federal government. Now, we warned of this last year on this program, almost a year ago exactly, how those pushing this would use a utilitarian, the end justifies the means approach to force people to be vaccinated. Dr. Jeff Barrow, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association, returns to Washington Watch today. Many are struggling with the vaccine mandate. In fact, many of you have emailed or some have called FRC. Some are asking about whether or not they should seek a religious exemption from the mandate. Well, we'll talk about that with Pastor Gary Hamrick, Senior Pastor, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, later on Washington Watch. Also, the Biden administration is seeking to purge Trump appointees from boards and commissions, threatening to fire them if they don't resign. We'll talk with one of them, former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, joins me here on Washington Watch later. And finally, a Democratic political consultant warning Democrats of a coming political shellacking because of Biden's radical policies and taxes. You know what? I agree. But I also have a warning of the dangerous days ahead. You won't want to miss it. Stick around. The website, TonyPerkins.com, also encourage you to download the Stand Firm app so that you can listen to Washington Watch no matter where you are in the world. Also, just by the way, we're watching the effects of the latest uh, storm, Nicholas, that has hit Texas uh, this morning and spreading uh, rain across the Gulf South. We'll be uh, watching that in those uh, Certainly want to encourage you to pray for those impacted, and we'll let you know how you might be able to assist those uh, affected by the storm after it passes. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. All right. um, As I mentioned, Secretary Blinken has been on Capitol Hill yesterday and today getting grilled by both chambers of Congress and, and even by both sides of the aisle. The issue at hand was, of course, the disastrous withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan by the president's artificial deadline of August the 31st. Now, Congress had a lot of questions, but Blinken was short on answers. Joining us to discuss yesterday's House Foreign Affairs hearing with Secretary Blinken is Congressman Scott Perry. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Great to to see you, Tony, and thanks so much. And, of course, I was there, and I would just characterize it this way. It's better to have no excuse than a bag of lousy excuses. And what we learned and what Americans learned if they watched any portion of that hearing, is is that we have a very poor excuse for 
Secretary of State, an even worse one as President of the United States. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the Secretary of State acted like the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a great and raving success, and all my colleagues on the other side of the aisle completely backed him up. I was actually astounded uh, that there was zero criticism uh, from the other side of the aisle. And look, we're not saying that the world's perfect and that this could have been perfect, but it would be hard to show uh, and it would be hard to accomplish um, something so, so, so wrong if you didn't actually plan to do it the way that they did it. Uh, and we still don't know how many Americans are left behind. Of course, your Christians left behind. And there are friends of the, uh, of, of the United States of America who have sacrificed on behalf of America that have been left behind now under the, uh, under the control of the Taliban, which is a terrorist state, and, and, and almost um, unapologetically, without a conscience, Secretary Blinken not only said we're going to try and work with the Taliban, that uh, essentially legitimizing them, that they are uh, very businesslike, but that your tax dollars are still headed to Afghanistan. We, we just spent 20 years trillions of dollars, thousands of lives. Uh, we, we left them a, a billion-dollar embassy and tens of billions of dollars in the most uh, 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 advanced military hardware on the planet, and yet it's still not enough. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, also, Congressman, I should uh, let our listeners, remind our listeners you're a retired general from uh, the Army, from the National Guard in Pennsylvania. Um, First off, I want to say I watched a good portion of the hearing yesterday. I watched your exchange with Secretary Blinken. Uh, I appreciate you pressing him on these matters. I want to go to the issue you just brought up, and that is the funding that uh, they have committed. Now, it is humanitarian funding, uh, and he says it's going to go to NGOs, but we know how the Taliban shakes people down. It's just it's it's so incredible to me how tone deaf they are. Tony, we have just spent 20 years, thousands of lives and trillions of dollars fighting this very regime, the Khorasan Group, the Taliban, al-Qaeda, uh, you name the, the, the different terrorist organizations headquartered or affiliated in Afghanistan. And now we're going to send, continue to send American dollars in aid for the oppressed people of Afghanistan because of the Taliban that we just surrendered to. The United States didn't surrender. The United States military didn't surrender. Joe Biden and, and uh, Anthony Blinken surrendered uh, on our behalf. And unfortunately, we have to suffer the humiliation of it and not having earned it. Uh, this is the policymakers. I often say, Tony, that it's not the troops. It's not the men and women who wear the boots that are responsible for this failure. This is from the suits in Washington, D.C., the appeasers and the, uh, the surrenderers in chief. And that's who they are. Now, if I summarize correctly what he had to say yesterday, essentially maintaining that the only thing that went wrong in Afghanistan was the unexpected collapse of the Afghan military. I mean, do we not have better intelligence? Were they not reading the right reports? Were they not watching the the proper news channels to see what was actually happening in Afghanistan? Look, like I said, I've had a hard time characterizing this as incompetence or negligence. Unfortunately, from what I've seen, it's almost like this was actually part of the plan. And and Tony, you know, unfortunately, we must admit, and and the Secretary of State did admit to me in questioning yesterday, for the past 20 years, we've been paying Pakistan. We've been funding Pakistan, who's then been funding al-Qaeda, who's been funding ISIS-K, the Khorasan uh, group, et cetera. 
Um, and, uh, and, and so they should have known. There's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't have seen this coming. They were briefed on it. Uh, all the signs were there. Uh, a, a second lieutenant right out of uh, right out of college, a brand new commission second lieutenant, uh, could have seen what was coming here. And so I'm sorry, I don't accept the excuse. I don't accept their uh, their blame on President Trump. They said, well, we couldn't. Th this this was baked in. We didn't have any choice here. They changed the Mexico City policy. They changed our policy on the southern border. They changed our policy, uh, Trump's policy regarding uh, the Paris Climate Accord. They're trying to change the policy regarding the Iran nuclear deal. They changed the policy on Nord Stream 2 and the Keystone Pipeline. They've been able to change every single policy they wanted to, but somehow this one, Tony, is all of the fault of President Trump. I'm not buying any of it. Well, and also the, the, the Trump administration, I've talked to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, there, there were um, bench. There was a benchmark. They, there were uh, points they had to reach before the right. U.S. would completely withdraw. They were going to maintain that presence until the Taliban reached certain steps. And 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 the the Biden administration changed the deadline. The original deadline or or discussion point was May. Uh, they moved it to September the 11th, and then when the political backlash came to that, then they moved it back to August 31st. So it was uh, it was never a hard, fast deadline. They could have kept a presence there until all Americans were out. That's absolutely right, Tony. And it shouldn't be about deadlines. These things are about conditions, and that's why the previous administration under Secretary Pompeo and President Trump demanded a conditions-based withdrawal. Right. So that means that the Taliban, the government in place, has to meet certain conditions, and then we'll do our part. It's kind of like trust and then verify. Conditions-based withdrawal. The Biden administration gave no conditions to the Taliban and cut and ran in the middle of the night. It's not the same thing at all, and they can't act like this is President Trump's uh, responsibility. It is absolutely the, the blood on their hands and this horrific failure of foreign policy and national security falls right at the feet of President Biden and the Secretary of State. Uh, Congressman uh, Perry, I have a clip, uh, I believe, of your exchange, but you changed topics. Uh, yes. and, and I want to play this clip. Do we have the clip of uh, Congressman Perry? Can we play that clip? Let's play that clip. How long was your recent interview with the FBI and was it a deposition? I'm sorry, I don't know what you're referring. Are you saying that you have not had a recent interview with the FBI since becoming Secretary of State? I'm uh, I, I'm not sure what you're referring to, uh, and I'm happy to take that uh, up with you offline. Did the, did the State Department turn over documents to the FBI related to Hunter Biden, Burisma, and or the Blue State Strategies Corporation? Uh, you'll have to. Uh, so you ask have no the, knowledge uh, of this. You have had no. You don't. You are you saying you have not had not, an interview it, it with would, the FBI would, since it would not be appropriate for me to comment. Uh, in a public forum on any uh, legal proceedings that the department I'm not asking you to comment on the legal proceedings. I'm just asking if you've been interviewed by the FBI since becoming Secretary of State. Um, again, I'm not going to comment one way or another on any uh, legal proceedings or not uh, that may or may not have uh, happened. All right, Congressman, I know there was something behind that question. What's behind it? Well, listen, uh, behind it all is I question the judgment and the credibility of the Secretary of State. Uh, and it goes to more than just what happened in Afghanistan recently, but it also goes to his judgment and, and who he keeps company with. And unfortunately, 
Hunter Biden uh, is, is, it's not because I say so, it's because there are credible, credible reports that the FBI had interviewed the Secretary of State and that uh, they were seeking a second interview because what he told them didn't match up with the facts. There are emails out there that uh, indicate what Hunter Biden wanted to talk to the then Deputy Secretary of State under President Obama about, and they weren't about what uh, what the Secretary of State said, which was uh, President Biden's then son, Bo Biden. So I, I think it's important that we understand um, whether uh, whether he's using good judgment and whether he has credibility to conduct affairs of the highest level of state for the United States of America uh, on, on behalf of America and and knowing uh, that there are concerns about Burisma, Ukraine, even China and, and uh, the Biden family. I, I think that those are reasonable questions to ask. And the fact that he did not deny them, uh, I think, is very, very telling. And so while I have limited information, it seems to me, as I told the chairman, he should be intimately uh, aware of this. And, and so he should be able to answer these questions freely. And I never said anything about legal proceedings. He said that. I never said that at all. Yeah, he didn't deny anything, but he sure dodged it. Uh, I, sure. I, 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 I'm assuming we're going to hear more about this uh, in the days ahead. Congressman uh, Scott Perry, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, fighting the good fight on Capitol Hill. Well, you too, Tony. God bless you, and God bless your, uh, your viewers and your listeners. Thank you very much. All right, Congressman Scott Perry of uh, Pennsylvania. All right, coming up next, um, why is the Biden administration refusing to recognize natural immunity when it comes to forcing this vaccine on Americans? Dr. Jeff Barrows is with us next. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. I've said this many times. I'll state it again because I don't want uh, YouTube to take down this video. I am not anti-vaccine. Okay, I've said this many times. I've written about it. I'm not against the vaccine. I've not gotten it. I have natural immunity. Uh, I think some people who are in high-risk categories should consider getting one of the ethically uh, made uh, vaccines. But what I'm against is people being forced by the government. A government mandate is absolutely the wrong way to go about this. Whether or not you decide the COVID vaccine is the right choice for you, and your medical condition is a decision that you and your doctor should make, not something Joe Biden should make for you or OSHA, who will be the enforcement mechanism for his mandate. Joining me to talk more about this, Dr. Jeff Barrow, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, Dr. Barrows, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. Great to be with you again. I was looking back, and it was uh, almost exactly a year ago that you and I were talking about this, and uh, you warned about the mandate, those pursuing a utilitarian approach to this, and ends justifies the means, and here we are. Yeah, in spite of the fact that uh, several months ago, um, President Biden promised that he would not use uh, a vaccine mandate. Uh, he has, as he often does, it's changed his mind and his approach. And so, yes, you're right. Since uh, uh, just a, a, a week ago, we are now facing a, a federal mandate to get the COVID-19 vaccine. I want to play a, a clip of Dr. Fauci, because also in that interview a year ago, we talked about natural immunity. Um, mm -hmm. Play the clip of Dr. Fauci, please. I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID, I'm protected, and now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The one thing the paper from Israel didn't tell you is whether or not as high as the protection is with natural infection What's the durability compared to the durability mm. of a vaccine? So it is conceivable that you got infected, you're protected, but you may not be protected for an indefinite period of time. So I think that is something that we need to sit down and discuss seriously because you very appropriately pointed out it is an issue and there could be an argument for saying what you said. I mean, we're, we're a year and a half into this 
I mean, and, and we haven't sat down to have that conversation. I would call that malpractice. I, I agree. I'm, I'm very surprised that the CDC has not been gathering data on natural immunity and specifically what would constitute a good level of natural immunity, which you could measure through titers of antibodies in the blood. And I, I think this is, uh, this is a mistake that this hasn't been done. I think that uh, there are a lot of people out there that have had the infection, and I do want to make it clear that just because you may have had a very mild COVID-19 infection, that doesn't mean you have the level of immunity that might be generated by a vaccine. But I would say the vast majority of people, especially those that endured hospitalization, became very sick, were symptomatic for a long period of time, those individuals uh, likely have the same level of immunity through natural means that they would get through a vaccination. Dr. Barrows, I would think if all of the facts were put on the table and we were having a, an adult-level conversation, like you just said, if you had a, a mild case, you may not have the natural immunity, so you really need to take that into consideration. But there's no discussion of that by the federal government. There's just this strong arm, one-size-fits-all. You're going to get the vaccine, or if we have the power, we're going to fire you. That is one of the problems with this federal ma- uh, mandate. Uh, that not taking into account the natural immunity, treating everyone as the same in terms of their level of, of risk from the infection, uh, treating them the same as if uh, they have the same level of exposure. And that's the reason that I personally believe that this widely and too broad uh, vaccine mandate is, is unethical. How are doctors... Those in the medical profession, how are they going to respond to this? Well, I think, number one, it will be helpful that they are not the ones pushing the the mandate. I think it does take some pressure off of them, though I do worry that there'll be a, a certain group of patients that will come into the office that are absolutely opposed to the vaccine, and they will begin demanding from their healthcare professional that they grant them a medical exemption, that they say that uh, that they have some type of a disease that maybe they don't have or that they are immunocompromised. And so I, I think this would put the physician, the healthcare professional into an awkward position where they have to say no to the patient where they are in good health. There really is no medical reason that they can give for an exemption. And uh, I, I'm concerned about that. And I, I think that's that's unfortunate. Well, Dr. Barrows, I'm also concerned about many in the medical community that are finding themselves under this mandate as well. Uh, they have to make the choice as to whether or not they'll have the vaccine or potentially lose their positions. Yes, we've got several of our members that are adamantly opposed to the uh, vaccine for a number of reasons, Uh, ethical, medical, lack of long-term studies, as well as the fact that many of them have had uh, had the infection itself. On the other hand, we have other healthcare professionals, frankly, that are very frustrated. Those that are working in emergency rooms, those that are working in manning intensive care units and taking care of the patients that become very ill. Frankly, we're hearing from them that they are frustrated that, that there are so many people that are still unvaccinated. So among the our membership, we have both sides of the coin. 
Well, I think we would be a lot further along had the issue and the vaccine not been politicized by the government uh, intervention. In fact, I've long said if you tell people you can't have it, everybody would line up to get it as opposed to telling them they have to have it. Uh, Dr. Barrows, we're out of time. I want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, Always appreciate your insight into these issues. Well, my pleasure, Tony. Great to be with you again. All right, folks. Look, um, you know, many are seeking, he he was talking about a a medical exemption. Many are seeking a religious exemption because of the, some of the ethical concerns about this. And also just when you surrender certain freedoms, fundamental freedoms, you, you think about where will this lead? And ultimately, what can government demand that you do? We're going to be talking next about the the religious exemption. Uh, Dr. Pastor Gary Hamrick, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, joins us to talk about that issue of religious exemptions that some are seeking. Don't go away. We're back with more. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, there's no question that uh, the whole COVID issue has brought a lot of legal and constitutional issues to the forefront over the last almost two years, issues that were previously unimaginable. Churches and other religious gatherings uh, faced an unprecedented assault in certain states, mandated to curtail their constitutionally guaranteed right to worship, while other non-constitutionally protected activities like gambling got favored treatment. So there's, there's a lot of suspicion out there 
between people and the government and what we've seen over the last two years. And the COVID vaccine is no different. You know, President Biden's top-down mandate that uh, sweeps in about 100 million Americans, either working for the federal government or in companies with over 100 employees, that they must be vaccinated or else, or else. Now, many Christians with sincere religious objections are facing an unimaginable question. Do I keep my job or lose it because of my sincere religious beliefs and objections to this mandate? Again, I want to say I'm not against the vaccine. I'm not anti-vaccine. In fact, I've encouraged people who are in high-risk categories to get it. But this is a decision that you should make, you and your doctor, not one the government should be making for you. But there are some ethical issues with some of these vaccines that have been derived from uh, fetal tissue. So what, what is a Christian to do? Joining me now to talk more about this is my good friend, Pastor Gary Hamrick. He is the senior pastor of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you. Now, you have heard from uh, many of your members about this very issue, have you not? Uh, from hundreds in our congregation, because, you know, we, we're we a church at the Bedroom Community in the Northern Virginia area, uh, so we have a lot of uh, people who work in Washington. They're federal employees. They're government contractors. And, of course, as you already mentioned, you know, people who work for businesses with 100 or more employees. So, um you know, people are now put in a position where this vaccine has been mandated. And I'm just hearing an outcry from people in our own congregation about what they should do. So they're they're having to deal with this head on. And what is your counsel to them? So I stood up in the pulpit on Sunday and I said, listen, folks, I uh, I think that a mandate that the government has imposed in regards to this vaccine is nothing uh, more than government tyranny. That's what it is. Um, and I, I got a rousing applause in, in all of our services because people see that as such. This is, this is nothing more than government tyranny. That's what it is. And again, as you said, I, I want to allow people to make their own decision about the vaccine. Everybody has to come to their own personal conviction about whether to get it or not based on their own personal sanctified conscience. My concern is that when the government starts imposing something, particularly something where, you know, uh, Scripture uh, tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we're, we're not our own, that we were bought with a price, and therefore honor God with your body. So this has to be a conscious decision that each person makes based on what they think is proper or improper, in their own body. And if the government says, well, I don't really care what your view is, you're going to, this is, this is um, going to be required for you to stay employed uh, in certain categories, either that or get tested, which by the way, the testing fee is in the hundreds of dollars every week. That would be right. the responsibility of the employee. So all of that doesn't even make it cost. It's, it's cost prohibitive to try to do that. So what I said to our folks was, look, we're going to post a letter on our website. Um, if you have a religious objection to the vaccine, you can download this document. It was a document that Alliance Defending Freedom put together, and then our own church attorneys looked it over. 
And so I'm getting hundreds of people downloading this because it's like the last resort to try to preserve religious liberty concerning your own bodies. Yeah, it is. uh, It's very troubling to me. Again, as you laid out, if the government can mandate that you get this vaccine, what will be the next mandate that will come? That's right. That's right. And And I said to folks, look, you know, we have to be wise about these things because you know, the religious liberty is already in the crosshairs. So, you know, we're already having to fight for religious freedom in America like never before. And and so, again, if the government can mandate this, yeah, the church is going to be next. I mean, religious liberties can be threatened. So when you extrapolate this out, you have to realize that one thing can lead to another. So we have to stand up now to government tyranny and to say this is not right. Um, you, you can't. And by the way, Tony, you know, I've been wondering, where are some of the progressives who are so pro-choice where they're always talking about my body, my rights? Where are they now? Why are they silent? Why aren't they coming forward and saying, yeah, a government-imposed mandate to put a vaccine in your body if you object to that? That's going against your personal rights. So this is something we have to fight for because, again, if you, if you give the government an inch, you're going to take a mile. Yeah, that that uh, that concern only pertains to abortion and the ability to take yeah. an unborn life. Uh, Pastor Gary, always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. God All bless. right. Pastor uh, Gary Hamrick, Cornerstone Chapel, Leesburg, Virginia, which, by the way, is going to be the site of our Pray Vote Stand Summit coming up in October. You're going to be hearing more about that in the days ahead. All right. Um, Oh, there's so much to talk about. But coming up next, Sean Spicer is going to join us as the Biden administration has engaged in a purge. Yes, right, a purge, purging Trump appointees to boards and commissions. Sean says he's not going anywhere. He joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're back right after this. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. 
Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Well, the Biden administration is not yet done with their purge of all things Trump. Now, the current administration has been getting a lot of news coverage regarding its decision to force Trump administration appointees to resign from military academy boards or face firing. Last week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about the president's purge. And uh, the president's objective is what any president's objective is, is was to ensure you have uh, nominees and people serving on these boards who are qualified to serve on them and who are aligned uh, with your values. Uh, and so, yes, that was an ask that was made. Joining me now is former Trump White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, who was one of those who got the resign or be fired ultimatum. Uh, Sean is a Navy Reserve officer. He is also the host of Newsmax's Spicer and Company and the author of Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. Sean, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Well, first, uh, Sean, thanks for your service uh, to our country. I, I respect, as a military veteran myself, I respect everyone who served in our nation's military honorably, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Uh, it's one thing that's been nice about our military in times past. Is it was not politicized. Uh, we're seeing that under this administration. Yeah, frankly, it's sad. And, you know, I said at the time, Tony, I don't, uh, you know, some of us like you and I have chosen to serve in uniform. Um, some people serve the country in different ways, you know, join a PTA, help in their community in some other ways. I, I don't judge how you want to serve America. That's your call. But as I said to Jen Psaki last week, don't you dare ever question how I've chosen to serve this and don't question my qualifications or experience. I've spent 22 years in uniform. I've served under five different presidents, uh, several awards and decorations, graduate of the U.S. Naval War College. And for her to stand there in the White House briefing room and talk about qualifications, um, and it's not just me. Think about H.R. McMaster, a three-star general who taught at West Point, who this past weekend was given West Point's highest alumni honor. General Jack Keene, a four-star, who's former vice chief of the Army. Uh, Lieutenant General uh, Guy Swan, who was the former chief of Army North. All of these folks she's deeming unqualified 
And Jen, I mean, I, I know she's never served in the military, but I, I have a hard time believing that she could stand there and call into mind the quest, the qualifications of so many of these other individuals. Megan Mops, a, a, an Afghan vet and West Point grad. Same thing. I mean, for Jen to sit there, and again, she's never served. I'm not questioning her commitment or service to the country, but to question our qualifications to serve on military academy boards, um, I, I found really, really disrespectful and repugnant. So let me ask you this question, Sean. What qualifications do they require? I mean, you've got, as you said, 22 years in uniform. Well, you've this. served. But, but, Tony, think about this for a second, because I bring this up in Radical Nation, and it was so fortuitous that this happened. I have a chapter on the people in in the administration and their qualifications. Take Dennis McDonough. He's now heading the Veterans Administration. He's never served in the military, never served on the board of a veteran service organization. He's never been in healthcare, which is one of the largest aspects of the VA. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what are his qualifications? I'm not sure, aside from being an Obama loyalist, what are his qualifications? What were Pete Buttigieg's uh, qualifications? Because when the president uh, thanked him after he'd been confirmed, he brought up his sexuality, not his qualifications. This administration, if they want to judge people by their qualifications, they might want to go back to square one. Well, that's my point, is that qualifications for them is not your ability to perform the function, but it is the ideological box that you check on the left. That appears to be the qualifications they're looking for. That's it. And that's and I literally, like I said, I have a whole chapter about this because they will go out and seek people who check boxes rather than who are the most qualified. That's their idea. It's all about this inclusion and equality rather than qualification. And it's funny because, you know, I, I just I get a kick out of the fact that when you talk about people on a military service academy that are thinking about the future of the training and the education, the curriculum that's needed for the officers that will guide and lead, in this case, the Navy in the future, you would want or think you would want people who have that kind of experience. Right. Um, and it's just, I mean, Frankly, and then, and then let's get to point two. This is unprecedented in history. No president has ever gotten rid of the previous president's Academy Board picks, ever. Full stop in history. President Trump, President Obama, President Bush, Clinton, Carter, go all the way back, right? And, and this, is, this is a White House who came in office saying, we're going to be the president for all people. We're going to unify the country. I have three months left on my term. Three months. One more meeting, and I would have been done anyway. And yet this is how they treat people. I mean, it's about personal pettiness and politics rather than bringing the country together in qualifications. And frankly, um, from the from what we have pushed back on, it's it's also in violation of the law. They right. they there's a reason they at least as of this moment haven't responded, because I think that they thought by bullying people that they would submit their resignations and just go, oh, shucks. But that's not happening. Yeah, a couple of points there. Number one, I just want to make very clear. They sent you a letter. Uh, also, Kellyanne Conway was one of those mentioned. Uh, they, they said a letter, either either resign by 6 p.m. this evening, if I recall correctly, or you'll be fired. Is that essentially Correct. what they communicated? Yeah, the actual word was terminated, but yes. So the reason these boards and commissions like this are structured the way they are, and I serve on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and I know how it is structured. I was, I was not appointed by Trump. I was appointed by Mitch McConnell. But they're structured so that they're, they are created to be as nonpartisan as possible, where politics does not get in. A president has a term that he appoints someone to. It often overlaps with another administration. And that's fine. That's the way it was structured. What we see here is an attempt to politicize the service on these boards and the boards themselves. 
Absolutely. I mean, think about it. There, there are Obama people that were on the Academy board. There are Obama people that were on the West Point board. I'm sure there were some on yours. You don't join a board like this or the one that you mentioned if you're not committed to the overall goal. Like there's right. no Republican or Democrat Navy, you know, like uh, perspective. It's we want the strongest, best trained uh, Navy. We want the best officers. Um, and, and so it's not a partisan thing. It's people who are committed to that, who the experience to say this is what we should be doing to ensure that that level of education uh, is provided to them. They are the ones injecting politics. Yes. Into I mean, and that's the funny thing. If this was Trump, people would be losing their mind. And, and the idea that all of the folks in the White House press corps, and that's where I actually am almost more disappointed, is Jen Psaki goes out there and without any military basis – or qualification or history in her behalf states that all of us are unqualified, and yet not one person in the White House press corps says, wait, you know what, okay, we don't like Spicer, I get it, but what about McMaster, what about Jack Keane, what about Guy Swan, all of these other folks? Not one of these people who would have thrown a hissy fit if Trump had done this says a word. Yeah. Maybe it's they don't like your dancing. Is that what it is? Uh, well, you know, I can see that. that would, <laughs> I would agree with them on that. Hey, in your book... Uh, radical nation, the tagline is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, a dangerous plan for America. Is, is what we see unfolding here where they're trying to purge uh, the previous administration appointees from these boards, is that a part of that dangerous plan you talked about? Absolutely. What I'm trying to explain to people is to pull back. See, I, I think that, as I mentioned, Dennis McDonough, for example, he, the confirmation process was a joke. The Republicans let all of these guys slide by. The policies that they're pursuing, whether it's purging people, D.C. statehood, packing the courts, allowing people to come over our southern border, are all in pursuit of a permanent Democratic majority that can institute progressive policy. You have to understand the ultimate goal. It's not a bunch of one-offs. It's not, okay, i got to help my friend here. It's not, oh, I want to just make D.C. a state because it's good. I want to pack the court. You have to understand the ultimate goal that they are trying to achieve, which is this Democratic permanent majority. Once you have that, right. then you can institute progressive policy after progressive policy infinitum and never have to worry about stopping because you, 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 know, you have the, the, the power to do that. And so this is all about an ultimate power grab. There's a reason when conservatives say to me, Sean, Kamala Harris isn't doing her job stopping immigration at the southern border. I look at them and I go, yes, she is. If you understand their goal which is to allow these people to come over the southern border because it prevents it presents to them a future democratic base vote then it makes sense she is not trying to stop them and once you understand that it becomes so much clearer what's really happening so all of this the reason they're purging people off of these military academy boards isn't just because it felt good on a wednesday morning to do it it's because if there's not proper oversight if all of the people are loyal to biden then they can seep in critical race theory into all of the military service academies and nobody's there to push back if you've got a sean spice or an hr mcmaster or a, or a megan moss we're going to say wait a second why are we talking about critical critical race theory in um in in the you know the academy curriculum and as soon as you realize that all of this is in pursuit of that greater goal, you get it. Yeah, there is a master plan here, and you're absolutely right. To, to, the, to the fair-thinking, democratic, grounded mind that wants to protect the republic, it doesn't make sense. But to advance the left's agenda, it makes perfect sense what they're doing. Uh, Sean, very quickly before uh, I'll let you go, the um, 
the president didn't have the legal foundation. You made reference to this in passing a moment ago that you've not heard back. You've uh, threatened uh, to file suit if you have to. You're not going to resign. Uh, they've been silent. So what, where does this stand? Well, that's a good question, Tony. I mean, I think the question, I don't think they anticipated the pushback. So now the question is, do they look at that and say, do we really want to litigate this? Because here's the question that, that's interesting from a conservative standpoint. Let's say that they go ahead and say, fine, Sean, we're going to push back on you legally. And I lose. You know who wins? The executive branch, which means that the next time the Republicans come in, because what they are saying yeah. ultimately is the executive branch has full and absolute power something that Democrats have never argued for. So by kicking me off and kicking all of us off, frankly, they're actually handing conservatives a win. And it's interesting. They don't think that they realize that they, they put themselves into a corner. Either they let me ride my term out, which I think, frankly, would just be a smart thing to do. Or secondly, they, they fight this out legally to the point where they recognize, holy smokes, you know, we've just granted the, a win to everybody who believes that the executive branch now has the power to do these things. Well, with, with, I would say with a little caveat there, Sean, is that you have to have a president like uh, President Donald Trump that's willing to fight. Oh, and, yeah. And because too often we get Republicans who, uh, you know, they won't fight. They won't fight the way the Democrats do. They let the Democrats run over them. Trump, that's why they hated him, is because Tony, I had he this fought. conversation three times this morning. Republicans have got to start getting it through their thick skulls that you can't hang out and hang out with the left-wing media, hang out with all these guys, and somehow think they're going to be your friends. Yeah. We need to learn to fight for our principles and our values and stop playing patty cake, thinking that somehow if we just are better than them, they'll repay the favor. Look at what look Nancy Pelosi did kicking off those members of the January 6th Commission, which is yeah. unprecedented. If Kevin McCarthy doesn't do the same thing when we take back the House of Representatives, shame on him. And, the, and you're absolutely right. Donald Trump was the only one who stood up and said, you know what? I'm not going to play by their rules. And that's what we need more of on the right. I agree 100 percent. And by the way, by the way, uh, Donald Trump's going to be on my program tonight. I'm going to ask him about this and get his take on what he thinks about what the what the Biden administration has done. Well, we'll be watching and I'll encourage others to watch as well. Sean, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Sean Spicer, you can catch him on uh, Newsmax, Spicer and uh, company. You know, um, the idea about fighting, I mean, you've got to fight for the things that you believe in. Now, I want to go back. I've got a few minutes left. Uh, yesterday uh, on the program, I had uh, Robert Cahaley on. We were talking about the disapproval rating uh, of the president and how people do not like the vaccine mandate. And I, I made a point that he was losing the independence, which did not look well for the midterm elections for Democrats. Well, uh, there was an article out today, not bad, by Douglas Schoen. He is a Democratic political consultant, basically saying the same thing. Uh, he, he, his point he made, uh, let me just read some of the article that he wrote. He said, Democratic, the Democratic Party could endure a blowout defeat in 2022. Uh, he goes on to say, nationally, 50 percent of voters disapprove of the job Biden is doing as president, while just 42 percent approve. For reference, at the same point in Obama's first term, Obama's net approval rating was 19 points higher than Biden's is right now. He goes on Obama, while 41 percent disapproval, uh, well, I'm sorry, at the time, a majority of voters, 52 percent approved of Obama, while 41 percent disapproved. 
That being said, I'm continuing to quote from the article, in the 2010 midterm elections, Democrats lost a net 64 House seats and Republicans gained six seats in the Senate. Now, remember, that was Obamacare that they pushed through. He goes on to say this. He says, it is noteworthy that both nationally and in these key states, uh, well, first let me go back. It says, in, in five key swing states, Georgia, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, voters disapprove rather than approve of the job, job Biden is doing by a 10% margin or greater. Biden won Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania in 2020 and narrowly lost North Carolina and Florida. It's noteworthy, he said, that both nationally and in these key states, Biden approve, Biden's approval rating has been driven down in large part by independent voters. Though Biden won national independent votes handily in 2020, a majority, 58 percent now, disapprove of the president, while just 31 percent approve. Just one-third of independents support the president in what he's doing. Now, here's my point. They are, they are fixing to get, get hammered in the midterms. Don't think that they're watching that and they're going to back up on their radical agenda. Just as they did in 2010, knowing they were going to be defeated, they pushed Obamacare across the line at the last minute. This is one of the most dangerous times for our republic. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be engaged. We've got to be involved. We've got to be praying. We've got to be voting. And we've got to be standing for these truths that are transcendent and have been proven over time. We cannot rest until we are protecting every aspect of this republic. So be alert, be prayerful, and be engaged. All right, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. And again. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.